Welcome to the New Beginnings Fellowship Podcast. Wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by today's message. Good morning. How are we doing, guys? Good. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, welcome. My name is Jeremy. I'm the youth pastor here at New Beginnings. I was going to get up here and talk about how tired I was from the youth retreat, uh, but Darla, uh, one of the lovely ladies up here on the worship team, she just had a granddaughter, yeah, a granddaughter, and she said she went 45 hours without sleep. I was like, yeah, I ain't got nothing on that. So uh, if she can be up here singing, I can be up here preaching. Amen. Amen. So uh, Richard kicked us off last week with Defining Moments, our new series, and he did a great job. If you didn't get a chance to listen to that sermon, you definitely need to get on our Facebook page. Uh, Go check it out. He did such a good job, um, and it's going to encourage you in your faith for sure. Um, A defining moment is a point in your life when you experience something that fundamentally changes you. When something happens and you're urged to make a pivotal decision in your life, and that decision changes everything. These moments, no matter how Uh, big or small, no matter how pleasant or difficult, have the potential to define who you are and how you behave. Something has happened and you will never be the same. There's a guy in the Bible who knows exactly what that feels like to have a defining moment. It's found in Matthew chapter 9. His name is Matthew. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth. Remember that. And Jesus said to him, follow me. And Matthew rose and followed him. As Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but the sinner. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we're so grateful that you didn't leave us as we are. Instead, you called us. You called us like you called Matthew. Lord, I pray that today um, we would better understand what it means to be called. I pray you use these words, the meditations of my heart, to draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. At the end of our time together, I want to talk about that defining moment Um, that Matthew experienced. So keep that story logged in your brain this morning. Last week, we unpacked our core passage, which is 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12. If you want to open your Bibles, you can go there. And our prayer as a teaching team is that God would use this word to cultivate a defining moment in your life, that he would use this series to help you better understand who he is and that 
by understanding who he is and who you are, it would radically change you. That you would never be the same. And so we encourage you as we focus on this section of scripture, 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12, that you would highlight it, meditate on it, chew on it, memorize it, hide it in your heart. In youth, we're going through a series on the armor of God. And it, uh, God, God has reminded me again and again how important it is, not just to be familiar with his word, but to have it on the tip of your tongue. Because it says that the word of God is the sword of the spirit. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts through bone and marrow. The word of God is our weapon against the enemy. And so we need to be ready to be able to speak it out on a moment's notice. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12 is one of those passages that does work against the enemy. All scriptures God breathed, all scripture is profitable for teaching. But 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12 is a powerful weapon against the enemy of God. It tells you who you are. It tells you whose you are. It strengthens your faith. It gives you direction and purpose. I have 1 Peter 2, 9 tattooed on my arm. Why? Because I need to remember, I need to remember that I'm a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. Why? So that I can proclaim his excellencies. I can share the gospel, the good news. I can proclaim the excellencies of him who called me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. When things get hard, when I get frustrated, I need to remember to keep the main thing the main thing. And so please, as we go over 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12, hide it in your heart. Allow God's word to do a work in you that changes you. That being said, let's read it together. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that, at, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. A defining moment for me personally is when Haley and I met in 2012 at a, a summer program called Discipleship Focus. Um, I think I have a picture of Haley and I uh, at Discipleship Focus. Um, they had a dress-up day. 
Uh, what they do at uh, Discipleship Focus is they give you a job for the summer at uh, Whitewater or Silver Dollar City. And so we had a dress-up day where we were all running around crazy at Silver Dollar City. Um, that was 11 years ago. Haley and I, uh, on Thursday, will have been married for 10 years, which is pretty cool. Um, happy anniversary, babe. I, uh, I'm a basketball coach uh, for Branson Junior High, and I was talking with one of the other coaches, and he's like, you've been married 10 years? He was shocked. He's like, did you get married at 14? He thought I was a lot younger than I really was. Um, but yeah, we met there, and over the course of those 12 weeks, we went through a book called Discovery. I wanted you guys to see the cover of the book because um, I want you to look it up online. Go buy it. It's an incredible book. Over the course of those 12 weeks, God opened my eyes. He helped me understand who God is, who we are, how we relate to him, completely changed me. The author of the book is Will Wyatt. He's the founder of the program that Haley and I went through. And he would always say this, the truest thing about God is what he says about himself. The truest thing about us is what God says about us, whether we believe it or feel it to be true. Last week, Richard focused on our identity. He said, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And that is true because God says it's true. Whether we believe it or feel it at the moment, whether we're wavering in our faith or we have these fleeting feelings, God tells you who you are. And today we're going to zero in uh, on what we find in 1 Peter 2, where it says that we have been called. We have been called from something to something. Let's read it again. But you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. What does it mean that we have been called out of darkness? We're going to spend uh, the better portion of our time together trying to answer that question. We're going to look at several scriptures um, for all of you note takers out there, I have a slide for you that you can take a picture of and you can look up those verses and kind of meditate on them throughout the week. To be called is to be resurrected, redeemed, and adopted. To be called is to be resurrected, redeemed, and adopted. The first thing that we need to learn about being called out of darkness is that we have been called out of death. Before we have a relationship with Jesus, we are spiritually dead. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of air, the spirit that is now at work in sons of disobedience, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even though we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Man, I love that verse. Haley and I, last Sunday we went to Cracker Barrel with our family after church, and um, we got to talking about dead armadillos. Not exactly the best Mealtime conversation, but 
we were talking with my parents and we realized that both of us have had dead armadillos in our front yard at one point. And how did we realize that they were there? They stunk. They stunk really, really, really bad. Um, for us, that uh, stank was there for a really long time. Um, you know, I started to smell it, and then like any good homeowner would do, I left it there hoping that it would go away. Um, I left it there, uh, but then days turned into weeks, and the smell just got worse and worse, and I was like, what is the deal? Where is this smell coming from? So I went looking for it. It's like, I got to figure out what the stench is coming in our, our front yard. And lo and behold, in the bushes, hidden in the bushes, I guess a buzzard had flown over and just like dropped this dead armadillo because there's this stinking, rotting armadillo hidden in the bushes. It was disgusting. I have a photo for you guys that you could, I'm just joking, I don't have a photo. <laughs> I don't have a photo of that. But you can imagine how nasty that would be, right? According to Ephesians 2, we are dead in our sins and our trespasses. Not Physically, but our spirit, our inner man, has no life. It is a stinking, rotting armadillo in the bushes. My mind immediately goes to the story of Lazarus in John chapter 11. Lazarus was a dear friend of Jesus, and he had gotten word that he was sick. Jesus was in the town over, and somebody had come to Jesus and said, uh, Master, Lazarus is sick. But Jesus does something really interesting. Instead of getting up and going to Lazarus immediately, he waits in that town for several days. And uh, after a few days had passed by, he looks to his disciples and he says, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe. It's kind of a funny thing for Jesus to say. Why would he be glad that he wasn't there to save Lazarus? What he was doing is he was setting up the stage for a miracle that was about to pl take place. God is never late. He's always on time. He has a plan and a purpose for what he does and how he chooses to do it. So they go to the town of Bethany and they find out that it's true. Lazarus had died, so they take Jesus to his tomb where they had laid his dead body. And Jesus, he says, roll away the stone. Roll away the stone. And they look at him and they're like, Jesus, he's been dead for four days. If we roll away the stone, it's going to stink. There are some of you here, you've been, a, you've been dead a lot longer than four days. You've been spiritually dead for a whole lot longer than four days, and you're afraid to let God in. You're afraid to open yourself up because all of that deadness is going to be exposed and it's going to stink. So you keep your guard up. You keep your tomb closed. You don't allow God in, but God says, I don't care. Whatever it takes for Lazarus to come out of this grave, we have to Roll the stone away. I wonder if right now God is removing stones. I wonder if right now God is stirring in your heart and he's calling you to remove the stone and let him in. Lay your guard down. When they opened the tomb, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. 
And the man who had died came out. His hands and feet were bound with linen strips. His face was wrapped with a cloth. He looked like a mummy. And Jesus said to them, abide him. Let him go. Lazarus had been risen from the grave at Christ's word. At his word, he came back to life. He who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, he's called you out of that darkness at his word. Come out. Come out of your sin. Come out of your pride. Come out of your obsession with work. Come out of your porn addiction, your homosexual relationship. Come out of your lust for comfort. Come out of your lust for wealth. Come out of your fixation on how others perceive you. Come out. Come out of your shame. Come out of your fear. Come out of your heartache and loneliness. Come out. Be free. That death is not for you. Jesus has something so much better for you. The good life. It comes from finding your significance, your security, and all of your purpose in Him. If you're here today and you desire a relationship with Jesus, then hear his call. Come out of your death and enter into his life, life abundant. What's the first thing he did when he called Lazarus out of the tomb? He instructed others to unbind him because he was wrapped in the cloth that's meant for the dead. Some of us have been called out of the tomb, but we're walking around in our mummy clothes. We're walking around as if we're still dead. We need community. We need other Christ followers to help pull away that which is meant for death and to live in the resurrected life that God has given us. We need people. On Fridays, Haley and I help out with a outdoor movie night where they show The Chosen. If you haven't heard of The Chosen, you need to look it up. It's amazing. Um, they portray the life of Jesus in a really real and uh, relatable way. And so uh, after the showing, somebody had come up to my friend and I and they said, I'm tired. I have this sin in my life and I'm tired of fighting with it. I'm exhausted of fighting on my own. Would you just pray for me? I don't want this anymore. And so my friend and I, we got to pray over him and we got to encourage him. He realized that he had death on him and he didn't want it anymore. And he relied on other people to strengthen him with God's word and remind him who he was. He was brave. He was brave enough to know he couldn't do it on his own. I wonder how many of us are trying to do it on our own. How many of us need to reach out to a friend that we know has a faith in Jesus and to just let them know, hey, I don't have it all together. I need your help. I need your prayer. I need your encouragement. If you're here today and you're feeling that spiritual death in your life, I want you to know that Jesus is in the business of bringing dead things back to life. It's what he does. When Jesus calls us out of darkness and into his marvelous light, he takes our dead souls and he gives them life. Let's look at Romans 8. 
This is what it says. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. If you're a believer in Jesus, you've been resurrected from the dead. To be called is to be redeemed. 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from the fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. The word redeemed is latruo. Latruo, to ransom or redeem. When slaves would be purchased in the marketplace, there was a latruo that take, took place, a redemption. As sinners, we have been redeemed by God from slavery to sin and death. Look at Romans 6. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become a slave to righteousness. The word slave is doulos. It's translated as servant in other places in the Bible. Slave, servant. Paul is saying sin is not your master anymore. You don't serve sin any longer. You no longer serve or cater to the desires of your flesh. You've been set free from the necessity to sin and you have a new master. His name is King Jesus. Notice that we've been called from something to something. We're called from darkness to the light. We're called from death to life to the fullest. We're called from or out of the slavery to sin and into obedience to righteousness. Church, too often we stop at the celebration that we've been liberated from sin. We celebrate that we're no longer under the slavery of sin and death and we don't embrace the next part of our journey which is obedience to King Jesus. I wonder what it would look like for us to not only celebrate freedom from sin, but to also submit ourselves to the command of Jesus over our lives. Obedience is not something that you can do on your own. God produces obedience in you when you meditate on and grow to appreciate his loving and costly sacrifice. I think Richard touched on it last week. The value of something is directly correlated with how much you're willing to pay for it. The value of something's directly correlated with how much you're willing to pay for it. A cheeseburger doesn't cost as much as a diamond ring. Or at least it shouldn't. That would be an expensive cheeseburger, right? So let's look at 1 Peter 1.18 again. Knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with what? The precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. 
You were not purchased with anything that has temporary value. The price our heavenly father paid for you and I to be in relationship with him has infinite worth. The precious blood of his innocent son. For all you parents in the room, how big would the return have to be for the sacrifice of your child? You can't even imagine. The father was willing to give Jesus up. Jesus was willing to go to the cross. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you, church. He wanted you. He wants to be in relationship with you. He was willing to make a way. You are of great value to him. While you were spiritually dead, a slave to sin, he sacrificed everything so that you could experience Latruo, redemption, and have a new master in him. As we meditate on that sacrifice and we come to appreciate our freedom found uh, in Christ that produces in us a loyalty to God, a desire to live not for ourselves but for him who for our sake died and was raised, we have to consider the cost. We have to consider that our freedom was purchased with the blood of Jesus to be called is to be adopted. Romans chapter 8. I've I've referenced Romans 8 a couple of times. As much as 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12 is one of those passages, Romans 8 is one of those passages. I challenge you, memorize Romans chapter 8. It will change your life. The gospel is written all over Romans chapter 8. It says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now we read this and maybe we're a little confused because in Romans 6, uh, Paul just said we're a slave to righteousness, but then in Romans 8, he says, no, 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 you're not a slave, you are a child of God. And we look at that and we're like, wait, what's going on here? It's a little confusing. Is Paul contradicting himself? I don't think he is. In Romans 6, Paul uses the metaphor of a slave to help us understand that we are no longer under obedience to sin, but under obedience to Jesus. But every metaphor has its limits. And so before we go taking on the full identity of a slave, he then in Romans 8 uses a new metaphor, a new picture in its adoption so that we understand that our position before God is not that of a slave, but of a child of God, a son or a daughter of the Most High. We've not received a spirit of slavery. We've received a spirit of adoption. God's spirit testifies with our spirit. We are children of God. Our calling is not into a slavery to obey out of fear of our master. It's a calling to sonship where we obey out of a love and respect and awe for our heavenly father. As parents, 
You don't want obedience from your kids out of an obligation or a fear that they're going to get in trouble. You want obedience that's been cultivated out of a love that you've built in your home. I grew up in a house with uh, seven people, two parents, five kids, and we always had friends over. That was a lot of dishes. Our house was always a mess, always a mess. We did have chores, and they helped a little bit, but uh, things just get messy fast. Nothing made my mom happier than when one of us uh, would stay up late and clean the kitchen, and she walked into the house, or she woke up, and she came downstairs, and she had a clean kitchen. Nothing made her happier. And we would do it from time to time. We would try and surprise her with a clean kitchen, start the day off right. We didn't do that because we were afraid of mom. We didn't do that because we thought we maybe would get in trouble. We didn't do that, um, so that because we were thirsty for her approval. No, we did that because we love her. She's mom. She cares for us. She sacrifices for us. She loved us first. Because she loved first, we wanted to love back. Church, we love because he first loved us. We do it out of love for our heavenly father. Remember, your calling is not one of a slave. Your calling is that of a child of God. We opened our time together looking at Matthew. He was sitting in the tax booth. To be a tax collector was to be totally despised by the Jewish community. You had sold out. You chose to work for Rome. You chose money over loyalty to your people. To be a tax collector was to be the lowest of the low in Jewish society. So as Matthew sat there in his booth, he was like Lazarus in his tomb. He was sitting there dead in his trespasses, dead in his sin. He had done nothing to change his position before God or before the people of Israel. But Jesus looked at him and he said, follow me. Follow me. Come out of your sin and follow me. And what did Matthew do? He left his tax booth. He got out of his tomb and he followed Jesus. Notice Jesus didn't say, clean yourself up before you follow me. He didn't say, right all your wrongs and then come follow me. But he also didn't say, hey Matthew, pray a prayer. Pray a prayer and then you can just keep sitting there in your tax booth doing what you're doing no he said follow me get up get out of your sin come and follow me so he did notice the first thing that Jesus tells him to do invite all your friends over because we're going to throw a party with a bunch of other tax collectors and sinners at that moment Matthew has a choice to make Either I listen to Jesus, invite all my friends, and throw a dinner party, or I don't. Either I start listening to this guy, or I don't. 
Either I surrender to his leadership in my life or I don't. Who's going to be master, me or Jesus? He chooses Jesus. He chooses to trust in him, to let him take the lead. It was a defining moment for Matthew, and it changed his life forever. What about us? What about us? The truest thing about God is what he says about himself. The truest thing about us is what God says about us, whether or not we believe it or feel it to be true. If you're in Christ, then God is your heavenly father. If you're in Christ, he's resurrected you from death. He's redeemed you from the slavery of sin. He's adopted you into the family of God. You are a son and a daughter of the most high. He has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And if Christ is in you, then he will give life to your mortal bodies. And he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He will never give up on you. But those of you here who don't know Jesus, it's time. It's time to walk out of your grave. It's time to follow him and live an abundant life with your creator, God. If there's anything I wanted you to remember from this message, it's this. There's a God in heaven who loves you. He wants a relationship with you and he offered up his son as a sacrifice for your sin so that you could come to know him as your heavenly father and be a child of God. So with every head bowed and eyes closed, if you're here and you sense God stirring in your heart, calling you out of darkness. We're going to say a prayer together. And as we pray, if you have that desire to surrender yourself to Jesus, just repeat the words back to him. The Bible says we're saved by belief in our heart and confession with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Lord means leader. You're confessing with your mouth that you want Jesus to be the leader of your life. By grace, through faith in Christ. There's nothing magical about the words we're about to pray. They simply are a guide to help communicate the attitude of your heart, your commitment to God, your desire to leave your sin and follow him. So let's pray together. Dear Jesus, I have many sins and your blood covers them all. Come be the leader of my life. Call me out of darkness and into your marvelous light for my good and your glory. With every head bowed, eyes still closed, if you prayed that prayer for the first time or you feel like you need to come home to Jesus and so you prayed it with a recommitment to follow him, I want you to do something brave. Here in a second, I'm going to ask that you raise your hand. And we do this for a couple of reasons. One, we want to celebrate with you because this is something worth celebrating. And this raising of your hands is the first step in being bold about the fact that you are no longer the same. And two, I want a visual. I want to be able to see your hand up so that I can be praying for you throughout the week as you start this journey of following Jesus. So on the count of three, one, don't be afraid. 
Two, be bold in your faith. Three, raise your hand. Get your hand up so that we can see it. See your hand. See your hand. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God, church. Eternity is different. You are not the same. You are a child of God. You've been set free. Guys, I love you. I'm praying for you. I hope you can live in the freedom that you have been called. Love you guys. God bless. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about New Beginnings Fellowship, connect with us or give, visit nbfhollister.org. Have a great week. And remember, we are the church who radically loves, serves, and encourages.